something that we'll look at today is this idea of God's protection and God sealing uh, people who, his people who are going through times of trouble. And I think that there's uh, a great mystery there and there's uh, plenty of profound truth to wrap our minds around, but it's, it's hard uh, sometimes. So we're going to look into that. Um, and in looking into that, I was thinking about um, uh, my own uh, grief that I've been working through lately. Uh, I mentioned this at men's group the other night. And uh, I, with spring and, and the weather uh, getting better, um, we have a, a pool in the backyard. We've got a fire pit out front, and there's a lot to set up. We've got to put out the lights and set up the chairs and pull things out of the barn that have been sitting there all winter long. And in the process, uh, there's been a cleaning out of things. And uh, we have three horse stalls. Um, One's got gardening things, the other thing's got, holds the snowblower, and the, and the one in the middle has got these toys, kids' toys. And uh, I'm pulling out all these kids' toys, and a lot of them are broken, or um, if they've been sitting covered up, and some of them are moldy, I just don't want to see the kids into that stuff, uh, particularly things down by the pool, um, rafts and uh, blow-up tubes and things like that. And I'm clearing this stuff out, and I'm having a difficult time, because... Um, I'm realizing, I think more this year than years past, that we have moved beyond this stage of life and that it's gone. It's, it's just gone. Um, and on the one hand, I don't really want to hold on to it. I think that gets really weird. Um, and uh, I, I understand the desire to do so, but uh, I'm not trying to hold on to something, but I'm recognizing that something is past, that... Um, we used to just be down in the pool um, and it'd just be a big family, you know, time down in the pool. And now um, my youngest is in sixth grade in middle school. And if they are there with their friends in the pool, they don't want me to be even seen out there. So um, there'll be plenty of pool time, uh, plenty of fun. Um, and I think that's part of it, is recognizing that uh, this new time has other things that are a real gift, um, like not having to chase them around everywhere, right? Um, not having to be in the pool when they're in the pool. But um, there's, I, I don't know, I've just felt a lot of grief lately this week. And one of the things I've realized is I've have to, I have to think about what that grief is. I have to, you know, you, we can't avoid it. Uh, we can't dodge it. we got to feel what that grief is and move through it, go through the whole thing, and bring that to God and, um, and allow Christ to minister to us, who's a good shepherd, right? We're gonna, he's, I think in uh, Revelation we have this image of God as a shepherd. And allow Christ to shepherd uh, us through those things. Um, and there's lots of... Um, and there's lots of kinds of grief. I remember when Eduardo spoke a while back, and he's talking about forgiveness, I think, and he talked about trauma, and big, big T, little T. And this is, this is little. This is little. Uh, it's something that we all go through, and it's normal. Uh, but there are people in this country right now, particularly in Texas, parents who are going through big trauma right now. Um, but that grief, uh, whether it's big or little, is uh, something to go through and that salvation and deliverance are uh, God walking through us through death, through that loss. 
And uh, we, we talk about this a lot at North Harbor. A lot of times what we grew up with or what we've heard uh, about, about salvation is more of an escape. <laughs> We're trying to escape, trying to get out of it rather than going through it. I was thinking of uh, like if a house is on fire, um, escape is the fire, firemen, firewomen coming in and saving someone and pulling them out of the fire. That's escape. And sometimes we think of salvation like that. Um, but really what we see in the Bible is a, is a deliverance. It's more of the fire, firemen, firewomen who are training to learn to go into the fire and bring someone out. That is what salvation is. And sometimes it sounds like bad news because our whole society here in the West, in America, is geared towards selling us uh, escape. Selling us escape. Advertising, right? If you use Crest you'll be sexy, you know, or you'll have a fast car or something. I don't know what that has to do with toothpaste, but they, they're going to make that connection somehow. Um, it's about escape. And so we bring that and we read it into our passages. And it's not. That's not what the Bible presents to us. Um, the Bible presents deliverance where we go through something. And Jesus went through something. And he lived again. And that is uh, salvation. Um, Jesus doesn't simply go ahead. or No, Jesus doesn't simply go instead. He goes ahead. And we are asked to follow him in. Pick up your cross and follow me, he says. So Beth, the, death being defeated means that we can make it through, not escape it. Um, the psalmist writes, So I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He will be with me. Um, this will be, Revelation is going to be really confusing if we don't understand that concept, because we get a lot of it uh, in chapter 7. So we're in chapter 7, and uh, we finished uh, the six seals, um, and there's this pause, there's this scene in chapter 8, and then we're going to go back into six bowls or six trumpets. Um, and we're going to cycle back in time and, and do those. Uh, but right now we're in chapter 7, and this is written to a church that is suffering, um, that is being persecuted. And there's two things that are being addressed here. One is persecution, this idea of going through death and facing death and facing hardship and facing suffering and trial and all that. And this book is meant to um, uh, comfort, bring comfort and encouragement to a church that is suffering. But it's also uh, meant to be written to a church that is struggling to be tempted to escape, <laughs> to try to dodge the suffering, to, uh, to compromise their faith and not hold true uh, to Christ. Um, so it's written to that, uh, that, that segment of population as well. So when we get to Revelation chapter 7, there's going to be this vision of heaven and worship. And what we're going to see often in Revelation, is that there's this switch between what's going on in earth and what's going on in heaven and what's going on in earth and what's going on in heaven. And they're corresponding, right? Uh, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and so um, there's this corresponding vision, and we have a vision of heaven this, this morning. And John writes, he says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea 
or even on any tree. And they saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel, from Judah 12,000, Reuben 12,000, from Gad 12,000, from Asher 12,000, from Naphtali 12,000, Manasseh 12,000, from Simeon 12,000, from Levi 12,000, Issachar 12,000, Zebulun 12,000, Joseph 12,000, Benjamin 12,000. So we're going to stop there and just look at this. We have two parts. One has to do with this seal. And so as we read this, it says, I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And this is um, holding back the winds. And oftentimes in the book of Revelation, the, sim the symbolism of the earth falling apart and being destroyed is matching the, the breakdown of society. Okay? Um, so when we read a passage like the, the, mud, the, the, the moon goes dark, uh, or the sun goes dark, the moon goes red, the stars fall from the sky, the winds are being held back. It's a vision of earth being destroyed, but it's an earth of, it's a vision also of society falling apart, of injustice and unrighteousness and evil going unchecked is often written about in the way of like the creation itself being just pulled apart. And so we have this idea of, wait, you know, don't do it yet. Hold back the destruction. And when we read about the seals being opened, there were portions of that where the earth started falling apart uh, towards the sixth and seventh seal or the fifth and sixth seal that already talked about the earth being harmed. And so when we read Revelation, it's really important. We want to read it linear. Lin, I did this last week, didn't I? I couldn't. In a linear fashion. We want to read it in a line, um, you know, one event after another, after another, after another. But it doesn't really play out that way. It's more like a dream. You ever have dreams where you're at home, but it doesn't look anything like your home, but you, you're sure that it's your home. And this is your spouse, doesn't look anything like your spouse, but that's your spouse and something's happening. You know, all this weird, I don't have dreams like that a lot, but, um, uh, you know, they're crazy. Everything's different, but you know that's who that is, and that's where this is, and all that sort of thing. So um, that's what this is like. Um, it's sort of going back to the seals. The, the time is not linear. Okay, So we've already read about the earth starting to fall apart, and yet here, afterwards, it's saying, wait, don't do it yet. So we're getting sort of a look back uh, in time, so to speak. And we have this idea of a seal. And so I saw another angel coming up out of the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, wait, don't harm the land or the sea, the trees. We have placed a seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. So the, these people are being marked, servants of God, followers of Christ are being marked. Um, so what does that mean? We've already talked about the seals um, on this document, and this document is uh, about judgment. It's about righteousness. It's about justice being served um, over the earth, and this is written to the church in a time where the uh, Roman Empire is exerting great power. There's a persecution against uh, the church. Also, there's great wealth to be had. 
um, and power to be had. And there's a lot of temptation to give up on our faith and just follow what you know, society is doing. And we have this great document uh, with seven seals on it. So the seals are for the person who you know, has the authority to open them. We already talked about this. That seal has to do with Jesus, the lamb who is slain, has the authority. They hear, the person hears that it's a lion of Judah. He turns and looks and he sees that it's a lamb that is slain. Now, this document, which is written to people who are suffering and who are going through suffering, not trying to escape it, but going through it, that vision is very important. The fact that uh, the God that they worship was also um, went through hardship and lived, that becomes the central figure of the whole book. That's so important because now we see that, okay, this person is like me. God knows. This person who I follow knows Amen. what that's like. Amen. And Jesus had that same temptation, right? God, I really don't want this to go this way when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, not my will, but your will. And he goes through. Um, he's on the cross. Where are you? You know, you've, why have you forsaken me? But he is resurrected three days later. So there is a going through um, trial and suffering and difficulty um, and persecution. And so for this church, it's so important. Because when I, when I, when I read about that, that passage where Jesus is on the cross and why have you forsaken me, that, I love that. I love those images of the humanity of Jesus because then I can say, yeah, I know, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. And so um, that's the seal. Jesus, who is gone through suffering and who is God and comes through alive on the other side has the authority to open those seals. This seal is a little bit different. You have this idea of, it's more, this is kind of crude and crass, but it's more like, uh, like what we'd see in a ranching situation where it's a seal that shows ownership. It's like a brand. Um, and I'm not saying that this is a brand. They're not trying to picture a brand. They're just saying that these people are marked as set aside, that they belong to God. Mm -hmm. They belong to God. There's an issue of identity. Um, who are you? Um, we asked that. We were talking about that at the men's group the other night too. And this idea where Jesus uh, comes to this man who's been suffering and he, he says, who, what's, your, what's your name? And we all ask, what is our name right now? And all that we're going through, what is our name? And never, whatever you're going through right now, whether it's good. We, we asked the, the teens this too a couple weeks ago. And one person said, my name right now is Peace. And I thought, that's great. That's awesome name. That's, that's, it says something about what they're going through at this point, their character at this point. And so that name, the idea of a name and a seal and being set aside has to do with identity. And you have this picture of looking back before things get worse and worse and worse, this idea of setting people aside um, in this symbol or an image of a seal that you are set aside. You are marked. You are, um, your identity is found in Christ, Amen. Um, in this lamb that was slain that is now alive again. Seal. Um, and then we have this, like, you know, these numbers, 144,000. And we saw before that there's lots of 12s, 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is sort of this number of completeness. So you have in the Hebrew Bible, 12 tribes of Israel. And then in the New Testament, 12 apostles. That'll come up later in this book. 
And when you have this image of 12 of Israel and 12 out of the New Testament, even though those 12 apostles are, are Jewish, you have this message going out to the whole world um, of Christ's resurrection. So it's an image of all humanity uh, being lumped together, uh, 12 and 12. And then you add 1,000 to it, and that's sort of a, like a military unit. And so you have this 12 times 12 times 1,000 is that you have this um, group of people of all nations, all tongues, um, together that are sealed and set aside as God's servant, and there's almost a, a, a military um, image that goes along with it. And this is looking back. This is looking back on the horizon before uh, we have these images of the earth um, falling apart. And then the image changes. Verse 9 says, After this I saw a vast crowd... Too great to count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. And I love that picture of all these people united together. All ethnic people united. Standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great war. Before they get to that, with the palm branches, I think for us, uh, we see that as a symbol of peace in our culture. Um, in that culture, it was more of a, kind of, almost like a nationalistic, it was more like raising a flag of your nation uh, for Israel. Um, and I don't think this is teaching that nationalism, I think what it's saying is that over and against the Roman Empire, which is so oppressive uh, to the church in this setting, you have this flag being waved um, over and against the, the empire, that uh, the empire will not be victorious, that God is victorious. And they're waving these palm branches. <clears throat> and then they have this song of hope and worship. Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these? clothed in white. Where did they come from? <laughs> and I said to him, I don't know. <laughs> Sir, you are the one who knows. He said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. And so here we have it. The images of, are those who lost their life. It's not people that escaped. It's people that are still living. And now the horizon has changed from the past to those who are set aside and marked as belonging to God. On the other side, now the horizon looks forward into what lies beyond. And, that, and, and, and when we get images of this, of, of heaven and uh, the throne room and um, the new Jerusalem and all things made new and a new creation... These things are meant to be measured over and against the suffering that they're 
experiencing on earth. And what he sees is people that have come to Christ, they have been renewed, they have been delivered, and they are on the other side of life, just like Jesus, worshiping him. And it says, those are the ones who died in the great tribulation. And so, oftentimes in the American approach to Revelation, which is a bit strange, um, we try to nail down what is the great tribulation. That's, that's not what this is meant. It's not meant to suggest some sort of specific time. Um, tribulation here is pressure, the great pressure, the, the, the mega pressure, um, the stress, the, um, the persecution, uh, the loss of life, the wondering, how do, we, how do I protect my family during this time? How do I feed my family during this time? Should I give in um, and uh, worship the emperor just so I can get some food? Or where can I find some food? Where do I live if we're being chased out of town? That's the pressure. It's not meant to be a specific time period. Um, it's, like I said, it's like a dream where everything is kind of overlapping in time and in space. Yet we know what we see and we understand. And in that world, they would have understood these sort of things. It's, it's harder for us because so much of the images are kind of locked into uh, the first century culture. And so uh, who are these people? They are the ones. Um, who are they who are closing away? He said, uh, sir, the one who knows, he said, uh, these are the ones who died. In the great tribulation, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne. I love that. They're there worshiping because Jesus has delivered them. That Jesus has uh, delivered them from their own sins, washed their robes. And you have all these paradoxes. Like their robes are washed in blood, but they're white. You have the lamb that's slain but is living. You know, all these sort of things. And Revelation, if we're going to read Revelation and uh, get its message, we have to allow those paradoxes and that mystery. We have to put ourselves in there and allow it to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like, which is it? Well, it's a little of both. <laughs> it's both. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. Here we have this picture of the, the uh, shepherd who's sheltering them. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb is on the throne. He will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Yeah, and what an incredible blessing this is to see this. That the one who suffered under the empire, who died under the empire, who rose again because of his faithfulness and his trust in God, that God was faithful to the end, now lives. And he is the one that shepherds them through their trial. And again, that trial, that suffering, I don't want to minimize the things that we experience, but I don't want to forget that there are people that suffer just great, horrendous things. But here is a picture of someone who suffers and yet still lives. Amen. 
And that's the big message of Revelation. God wins this battle. And I think that it's hard. I think that it kind of messes with our moral and ethical compass to try to think of, all right, we just get through it, on the other side it's going to be better. But that is the image that is trying to be conveyed here. That the image of no more tears, no more thirst, no more hunger, living in a world where we are cared for is meant to be measured over and against that the suffering and the trials and the temptations that they are going through right now. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, what do we what do we do with this? This is a I mean, it's a call, revelation essentially like the rest of the New Testament and one could argue like the rest of the Old the Old Testament as well is a call to return to God. It's a call to faithfulness to God. It's a reminder that um, to be obedient to God, to, um, that we will find our shelter in that time of stress, in that time of trauma, in that time of suffering, whether it's a little s suffering or a big s suffering, that we will find a home there. It is not necessarily a promise that the circumstances will change. The image here are people who are died, who have died in that, in, during that persecution, and yet they live again. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so the seal, you know, is not a get out of jail free card, but a guarantee that we will get through jail <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and be united with Jesus. Now, sometimes we, yeah, I mean, there's God delivers us in ways that. We seem to escape. But I think the bigger image here is uh, that though we suffer, Christ suffers with us. Um, <clears throat> I, I saw a video uh, posted by a friend of mine who lives in uh, Providence. Uh, and I think it was a stand-up comedian. A, it must have been a Christian comedian. And there was this moment of levity in his uh, presentation, in his comedy, and he talked about being a a father and his child being born. Uh, Which, the Washburn baby's been born? That's right. Yeah, Magnolia Joy Washburn. Maggie was uh, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that. They're all doing well. Friday. It's like a dream. It's like a dream. It's uh, sometime this week. I haven't seen their car back there, so I think they're still uh, at the hospital. But um, anyway, they're all doing well. So this guy, he has this baby being born, and she's put under the uh, the hamburger warmer. Thing. Hey, I think he says that. He says that. He says, they, he says, I don't know what they call it, and I don't know what her insurance plan is, but he put, they put her under the fry, the, the fry warmer there. She starts crying. She's just crying, just unconsolable. And he walks over and he says, it's okay, baby, it's okay. We're here. As soon as she hears the voice, she stops crying. It was amazing. And then it happens again a few minutes later and he walks over. He says, okay, it's okay. You know, daddy's here. I love you. I love you. And she stops crying. And he says, I love you. And her eyes open for the very first time. And, and she's in that thing. There's no one touching her. There's no one. It's just the voice. And his, his message was, listen to the voice of the Father. You know, hear God's voice. 
in times of uh, trial. And uh, again, some of the trial we go through is very difficult. Um, the loss of a loved one, uh, sickness uh, or confusion, mystery around whatever that sickness may be. We don't know what the future holds. Or we're just going through another life stage and we're feeling that sense of grief. The message here is to turn to Jesus. And it's not so much... Um, I think what we believe about Jesus is important, but I don't think our theology and the bullet points of our theological system help us so much. I think in those times, it's the person of Jesus. It's coming to Jesus, um, the person of Jesus who has suffered and connecting with him. This is where spiritual disciplines are so important, and it's why it's so important that we practice those in times where we're not suffering so much. Prayer and solitude and uh, fasting and worship, corporate worship, and times of fellowship where we share uh, where we're at together, like we did with the men's group. In the, and I keep pointing up there because that's where we met, up in the, in the bell tower. Um, and, the, and the teens meet together and ask those same questions. That those are disciplines, they're practice. We're practicing, we're practicing, because when we go through difficult time, that's the, the, the spiritual practice that unites us with Christ, with the Lamb who has been slain, Amen. with the Lamb who lives now through the suffering. Amen. And it reminded me of another story. It seems totally, uh, doesn't seem connected to the story at all, but it reminded me of the story of the rich young ruler where um, this guy asked Jesus, you know, what do I need to inherit eternal life? We've, we've heard, we've read about salvation. So there's something similar here. Some, there's some overlap. How do I inherit eternal life? And he says, well, I mean, what are the, you know, what do you, what do you know about this? He says, well, I love God, love neighbor. Well, I've done that. Jesus says, go sell all your possessions and follow me. And he walks away sad. In other words, he's got the right theology there, but he's not willing to follow Jesus into the margins where suffering happens. Right? He's not willing to go there. That, that's a place, um, there's a personal connection that's missing there. And so it's important in a land like ours where there's just so much wealth, right? If you have two cars, then you're way up there in the percentage globally as far as wealth goes. Um, it's important for us to understand where those margins are and to be willing to go there with Jesus. I don't have uh, answers um, regarding these tragic events that have happened over the last two weeks with the shootings. Um, but for those of us where we're not being persecuted like that first century church, we got to figure out how do we enter into those margins to follow Jesus. This guy was wealthy. He was in a place where he didn't have to worry about that too much. And what Jesus posed to him is, you got to, you know, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Go into the margins. It's going to cost you. And I think he had a theology of escape rather than a theology of deliverance through something. And he felt good. <laughs> but we, again, I don't want to minimize the struggling that we go through. And everyone is going through something right now. Everyone is. Um, but we also have a whole lot. On Memorial Day, we remember that we have a lot here. Amen. Um, that many people have suffered 
um, for, for our benefit. And so there's going to be times where we have to choose to follow Jesus into those margins that are going to cause suffering. Mm-hmm. And our theology has got to be good. <laughs> we need to be able to read this passage out of Revelation and see that this is where the Lamb is. This is where the Lamb who was slain is. He is with these people who are suffering. And we need to be there with Him as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that works with whatever anyone's going through. We're all going through different things. There's a lot of overlap probably in what we're going through, um, but we all have some unique um, things that we are struggling through and things that are we, we are celebrating. How do we turn to God in that time? Jesus doesn't always just go instead. He goes ahead and he calls us to follow. Um, and so for people who are wealthy, that looks like bad news. We go away sad. We don't want to do that. Um, but for, the, for part of the audience of Revelation, geez, that's exactly the message here, is that all the wealth of the empire uh, will not bring us through. Um, all the power of the empire will not bring us through. Um, all the wealth and the things that we can consume in our world will not bring us through. Only Jesus can do that. So let's uh, unite our hearts in prayer and ask God to uh, speak to us. God, what an incredible book we have here with Revelation and some really um, profound and difficult theology um, for a land where there's so much opportunity. What a hopeful theology uh, for those who are suffering, who can place their faith and assurance in a God who will love them through the whole and through the other side. We praise you that we have a secure hope in the love of Christ a firm foundation in the love of Christ. Bring to mind the opportunities that you place before us to follow you into the margins. We have seen this week, last two weeks, that our world is broken. broken. And people who are broken are are breaking other people out of their sorrow and their anger. And it's just causing more suffering and more grief. You do not deliver us out of those issues, these national issues, global issues. You deliver us through them. Help us to be a people who see and hear who have compassion and empathy to enter into the uh, struggle for justice and in whatever areas we are struggling right now, whether they are small struggles or big struggles, you care about them. Help us to turn to you in all things in the sorrow and in the joy. We pray in Jesus' name.
who lived and died and lives again. 